Hi, welcome one and all. Welcome to another episode of D-Side Chats, and this is your host speaking, Edward Turner. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the overall importance and impact an algorithm has, or algorithm choice design has on your data science methodology. We'll focus on different types of ways to access information through algorithms, uh, through the programming language, different ways of interacting with data through a framework that's chosen. And then we're going to talk about how we can even break apart the methodology of a data science process, which in some essence, an algorithm of choice, so that it's broken down so it can actually make use, the most use of your your time spent through your different uh, pipelines for machine learning and, and data and feature engineering. So first, the algorithm design at the program level. So it's quite common that we as professionals in the field of data and AI have to interact with data uh, through the programming language uh, such as Python or Scala. And many times, when we read in the information specifically with Python and R, we read it as a, a data frame of some sort. And in those instances, in those cases, we actually can do an operation such as looping over row by row and performing a process row by row. And while that's probably the most straightforward and maybe natural way of thinking when it comes towards creating a process that happens at, for each row in your overall uh, data structure, this, since Python and R are both languages that are more scripting interpreter based, that actually causes the most slowdown that you can achieve within Python and within R. Now, there are a, a couple things you can do that can really help speed up your algorithm. And if actually if you utilize both of them, you can even see uh, more drastic results. And so uh, one one avenue to follow is actually through a process called vectorization. Vectorization is an is a process which takes an algorithm that acts row by row and acts on the entire structure much more quickly through uh, different types of uh, machine level instructions that are fed by the algorithm. So what does that mean? Well, if you are aware of math, uh, even if you aren't, uh, you, you might have seen some process in math where, uh, you know, especially if you got to different parts of, of uh, maybe advanced algebra in high school, uh, you might have seen you know, determinants uh, of matrices. You might have seen operations that uh, you can perform between complicated structures that also work on the uh, more simpler cases. So one plus one is two, 
and that's a simpler case. And you can imagine maybe we're adding one to a row uh, in a data frame that has a value one. And so that's an example of maybe a simpler case that's very easy to comprehend. But let's say you have a collection of ones and you want to do this for every one. What can you do? Well, you can loop one by one or you can uh, treat the collection of ones as a vector, go back to vector math that I was talking about, that matrices and you know, all these other complicated processes. And you can actually apply the process of adding one to all those operations and it's actually much simpler to describe what you're doing from a math standpoint what you're doing when you handle it that way and that's actually very similar to how the computer will be able to understand what you're trying to do because the computer is going to understand and you know this is not the same thing for C and C++ uh, although this there's still operations where you can vectorize uh, the machine instructions will understand that you're adding one by one so there's certain things you just have to figure out but within Python and R, uh, it, what ends up happening is it tries to figure out the types of each row uh, at runtime uh, and then perform the operation, uh, which is not helpful uh, just purely from the standpoint that uh, you know what data type it is. It's all floats or ints. Uh, and so in that particular case, it's not helpful. So what can you do? Well, again, vectorization comes in. And so let's say, it's, you know, you take the operation of looping through each row and you just add plus one to the column. Uh, and within Python, it's pretty straightforward uh, depending on which API you're using, but if you're using uh, pandas, and we'll talk more detail about, you know, frameworks and APIs, but uh, if you're using pandas, and that's pretty straightforward, you just do pandas, brackets, the column that you're referencing, and then plus one, and then you can make that equal to a brand new column in that same data frame. And that right there is much quicker than looping through each row in that data frame and then adding one to each entry and saving this new process in a new collection uh, that could very well also be in the same, could be another column in the same data frame. So the process of vectorization actually solves many problems in and of itself. Now there's the other part too where, again, we're dealing with Python, we're dealing with R. Uh, they're not compiled languages, and compiled languages are much quicker, they are much faster. So how do we handle uh, that runtime uh, performance hit? Uh, well, there's something called just-in-time compilation, uh, which is, uh, particularly in Python, there's a few Python packages available, where you actually can uh, Take a, what's called a Python decorator, attach it to a function uh, that you're trying to apply onto uh, for your process, and it will uh, vectorize, or rather compile your code uh, to the really instruction machine level you know, type granularity, and it will optimize it to your particular machine. So essentially what that means is you don't even have to do the work of optimizing the code and compiling it. This package will do it for you on the fly. And there have been, and you can Google this, just look at Numba versus uh, C++, Numba spelled N-U-M-B-A. Just look at that online and you'll see that a Numba 
actually has very similar performance to optimized C++ code. So just by utilizing this, you automatically win. And this could be, it doesn't matter what function you use. It could be, you could loop inside of the, uh, of a data element. You can do the vectorization. You can do either of those two. And you're automatically going to be faster than what you were going to be. Uh, now, you still want to utilize vectorization. So this is going to be the part where now you want to utilize both of them. Just because of the standpoint that uh, vectorization overall is still a win over row by row. And this is even within compiled languages. Uh, there's actually a movement. Uh, some of this is, is kind of already being in the works, but there's a movement going towards more columnar based actions, which essentially are more, or, which are also vectorized in some sense. And uh, columnar based actions has actually already shown. A higher performance uh, just in runtime by itself in comparison to its row by row brother. Uh, and you can see this type level of improvement even just by uh, reading and writing uh, files. Uh, you know, it could be the same data, but it could one could be saved in CSV, which is row by row data save uh, type schemas, and, and uh, Parquet is a columnar base. And just by reading and writing in those, you, you save a lot of time because everything is optimized to that degree. And then you can even do more optimizations. But again, that gets more closer towards the framework uh, that you can use. But vectorization and uh, just-in-time compilation uh, will overall improve the performance of your algorithm. Now, the next point I want to talk about, which I've mentioned a few different times, actually, is the concept of frameworks. And so uh, a framework is essentially a, a piece of software or a software tool that you can use on top of multiple different languages and uh, or as a way of programming with a standard API that uh, facilitates the development process. Uh, now, what that means from a data processing point of view is there is going to be an overall scheme designed to facilitate data management and data processing. So as I mentioned before, uh, pandas is you know something typical you would use within Python. I'm going to really tailor my next few comments towards Python, although uh, some of these are applicable to R as well. Uh, but you have uh, pandas as one process, and that overall API is great. I love it. Uh, but the thing is, is that assumes that your data can fit all in memory. And that's not necessarily the case all the time. Because uh, data volumes are different per project per company. And so you're going to want to have to focus on uh, maybe other frameworks that can handle different data volumes and more robust. What this means, of course, is that you lose a lot of maybe some of the data science methodologies or data science uh, vanilla, I would say vanilla models uh, that are offered through like SKLearn uh, or XGBoost or like gradient boosting. Uh, by switching to one of these, uh, although you find that there are, there are other options and that they're also handled at scalability, uh, but you gain an overall robustness. And this is really important as companies are becoming more data centric that you're going to want to have a more robust 
means of processing your information. Uh, now, uh, the other frameworks that I have in mind are also Dask. Dask is essentially very similar to Pandas. Actually, uh, Dask essentially uh, creates a task plan uh, that organizes all the partitions of your information uh, as kind of, you know, you can kind of think of a bunch of pandas data frames are being handled. And so it manages all that task optimizations. Uh, it, you can use it across, you know, threads in your computer or across nodes in, in a, uh, inside of a cluster. It's kind of flex between either or. Uh, but you actually can do, you know, cluster level compute using Dask and you can still utilize a lot of the same data science methodologies that exist within the Python ecosystem. And there are even wrappers on top of uh, the, the programs and, and the overall code that you have uh, that exists within DAS, that also exists within Python, within sklearn, that actually can be used on top of DAS frame. So this is kind of the, uh, this essentially gives you the most wins from a sense of it connects right back to uh, natively uh, to pandas. Uh, it's, it's really nice uh, overall and something I would suggest. Uh, there's a few things you have to do to make it work, maybe for your use case, but this is something that is very helpful. Another uh, framework is Apache Spark. And this one, if you've heard of big data, you might have heard of this in the past. Uh, Apache Spark is a big data processing framework that was originally written in Scala, which is a Java virtual machine-based language, or what we call the JVM. And it handles the processing very similar to uh, Dask, but it utilizes the notion of what's called map and reduce. Uh, and so map and reduce, essentially, it, you can imagine it takes a process or a data set, maps it to another data set, and then coalesces it through the reduce operations. Now, some of this is, is very straightforward. A lot of, you know, a lot of these concepts, you know, you can kind of imagine, you can think, you know, if you're, let's say, say for example, you're going back to one plus uh, operation, then uh, you can imagine that the map and reduce just ends up being just a map where you map one column to another column based off of the map of, of adding this plus one. And so that's pretty straightforward, uh, but this is extremely powerful. You can have, you can leverage uh, better cost savings, uh, very similar to Dask, but you can leverage better cost savings. Uh, you can leverage uh, really data type, data schema, uh, you know, validations within uh, within Spark, which is not natively supported in Dask, uh, but within Spark, uh, it will tell you when certain schemas don't match, uh, and uh, you get a whole entire task plan overall what's going on at the schema level. And you kind of get something similar within Dask, but you have to be very careful. Uh, you can get silent errors, and that's always a, a constant problem. Uh, but uh, Spark is really powerful in and of itself. And there are other you know, Apache flavors for big data processing. Uh, you know, Apache Flink, uh, Flink is one. But uh, if you're starting off and you're looking for more batch operations, then Apache Spark is something that maybe you want to look into uh, overall to help speed up your data science process. Now, as I mentioned before in the previous point, 
when it came to how to improve data science algorithm, I mentioned you know, vectorization. I mentioned uh, just the compilation. These same approaches you can actually apply in the frameworks you choose. And there's an actual, there's an article uh, that touches on this and you know, even uh, further explained it. They were able to utilize just-in-time compilation and Dask at the same time. Uh, and they were able to improve their performance over an initial process, which was a basic group by uh, and a basic operation without number and without vectorization, uh, you know, by 60 times improvement. You know, they developed an algorithm 60 times faster. And I've personally seen these uh, types of improvements in my case uh, as I've managed uh, different data science methodologies and uh, machine learning engineering methodologies and, and provided similar level of overall performance boosts. And so uh, these concepts, you know, add on top of each other. You can really, you, uh, these, these concepts you can stack on top of each other and, and really utilize the performance boost to really be helpful. Uh, now to get a little bit closer to Spark, as I mentioned, things are more columnar based. Uh, and, and Spark favors columnar-based operations. Uh, you can do things row by row, but it's very complicated. Uh, but you can uh, you can access really your data through columns. And there's a package called Apache Arrow, and Apache Arrow actually optimizes columnar operations. And you can use Apache Spark with Apache Arrow, uh, which Columnar which vectorizes your Apache Spark operations. Which Apache Spark, keep in mind, uh, you know, this again, everything was map reduced, and so it initially gets back to like row level. Uh, but by utilizing vectorizations, uh, Apache Arrow uh, can help speed up your process even more so. Uh, now, there are other things you can do with Apache Spark that are nice, you know, if you're using. Uh, if you have a use defined function that's you know use defined operation that's not defined within Apache Spark, uh, you can define it. Uh, you can use uh, a pandas UDF, which is a pandas user defined function. You know UDF user defined function, and that's the acronym broken down. Uh, you can use a pandas UDF, uh, and that would automatically link to the Apache Arrow type process, uh, and so uh, you can really see some savings there. Uh, overall and uh, you can even utilize and this is kind of getting a little bit more towards like which language you use but you know Scala as an example uh, allows for at compiled time optimizations for data schema reads and writes meanwhile for Python you can't enable that uh, that's not upfront and that's just you know the matter of the fact you know, you can't really change that within Python because Python is an interpreter-based language, or Scala is a compiler-based language. But if you're really concerned about performance and you, you want more optimizations, uh, then you can do that as well. I still suggest, though, that uh, you primarily focus uh, first on understanding Spark and utilizing Spark and maybe PySpark, which is the Python wrapper around the, uh, the Apache Spark uh, code which which originally is in Scala and so 
Uh, if you really want to use Python, because maybe you have something that's very specific in Python that can't be used in Scala, then go ahead. Otherwise, if everything you're doing is really independent of you know pandas and numpy, uh, if it's really really focused more on on just Python, you know, just do that. All right, now the last point I want to bring out is uh, the algorithm development uh, through the use of breaking up your data science methodology. And so a lot of times I've seen in data science, uh, everyone loves putting everything in one script uh, or maybe in one notebook converting into one script. And they love doing that because it's simpler. You can show one person one thing and it's more straightforward. And while maybe it might be easier to describe the business, it's really a bad practice within engineering as a whole. Uh, really is bad practice. And the reason is this. Uh, there's a lot of things that you kind of miss from uh, the engineering perspective when you do that, such as automated testing. So, for example, you want to do automated testing. If you have everything in one function, that really complicates how you're going to test your process very well. And so you really should break down your... Uh, maybe your process data you know, function uh, or your main function into smaller, more manageable functions where you can actually see what's happening. You can understand what's happening more fluidly uh, and then make sure the arguments are, are you know, the data frames that you need. Uh, so you actually are able to kind of uh, keep true and, and, uh, and hold to this uh, more properly uh, the whole, you know, best practices from an engineering perspective just by breaking down your function a little bit more. Uh, now, let's say you even have that broken down. Uh, the way you execute your function, where it executes, also affects your runtime, and that's, you know, what you can imagine. Now, I've been part of projects where everyone wants to run all your different, you know, methodologies and processes kind of all concurrently. Now, what I mean by that is that they want to run, say you have a group by, let's say you have several groups of information, you want to apply a machine learning inference process on it, or training and then inference, which I highly don't suggest. I, I, I suggest that if you have training and inference together in a script, that means that you probably should break it out so you have training in one and inference in the other. And then you can follow along a better you know, engineering practice. And this is more from the M, machine learning engineering rather than from software engineering. Uh, software engineering relates more to the automated testing. Machine learning engineering refers to the, the fact that you should break your training and inference apart. And this is for easier A and B testing and for validations in the future. But uh, your inference overall uh, and training uh, could be applied to certain groups or, or segments of your data. And you might be doing that all in one script. Now, while, again, it's easier to describe the business, that really is not good from a resource management. And resource management uh, would encourage that you break down that script that handles maybe those different groups of data and you get down to where, let's say we have five groups of data, maybe break it down to five different scripts that just filters down to that data and then applies the process onto it. Now, the reason why you want to do that 
is so then when you get to the point of deployment and going to production, you can just bring out five different computes and just handle it that way. Or let's say you have a cluster and let's say this is all Spark scripts. Just have five different Spark scripts, use the same cluster, and then just submit the jobs differently. Because then you can actually run those in parallel rather than what you would be doing, which is running them sequentially. See, you lose a lot. You lose a lot of, of opportunities and you complicate your overall process uh, and you're different, you know, if you're using Spark Spark sessions by keeping everything in one singular place. So uh, the most wins for you in this case is actually break it down. And this makes it so much easier from a uh, uh, really resource management standpoint uh, for you to break down you know, your large maybe scripts to handle segments of data uh, either sequentially or parallel, break it up into several different other scripts. Uh, and then this also encourages better engineering practice from a software perspective because then it's easier to test. Now, I keep saying scripts, really what you want are modules that have main functions that you can execute uh, through another script. Uh, that's what you really would want. That way it's easier for a deployment, but that's another topic for another podcast. Uh, we'll get We'll touch on on how you can break down your process so that it's standardized. But uh, this is kind of how uh, you would break things down and enable uh, better you know, performance from a runtime perspective uh, within your code, uh, within your entire data science process. That's how you improve the algorithm. You can improve the algorithm through, again, A, through the software, directly through how you can vectorize or utilize just-in-time compilation. Two, through the use of frameworks, whether this is the Pandas, Dask, or Apache Spark APIs, or Flink, if you want to go and use that. Uh, and then three, through how you define the methodology and break down the methodology so that you can describe things from different scripts if you're applying a, maybe a group by process per segment. Thank you very much for uh, listening to this episode. Uh, please stay tuned for the next episode uh, coming the following week. Thank you.